This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. This is episode number 10.1. I am Joe Darnell, and with me is my dear friend, Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing tonight? Doing well. So we really are sticking with the uh, episode 10.1, We are. We can. We will. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what cat will name this episode after, but it's going to be something. And when we catch up with Mac OS X, I guess no, we're going we to have to switch with, to uh, with cities in Georgia, since we're both living in Georgia. Yes, exactly. So, so this we'll is episode Atlanta or episode columbus i don't know hmm it's got to be something better than atlanta um what, <laughs> tifton we'll use battlefields how about historical battlefields <laughs> <laughs> probably plenty of those here with us tonight is my friend mr rob mcginley myers hello how are you doing rob i'm doing great thanks for having me on well it's a pleasure to have you back we knew we would you're a pretty swell guy. How's it going with the Anxious Machine podcast? It's going great. I just launched season two of the show uh, last week. The podcast about humans struggling with the machinery of modern life. Yeah, it sounds so kind of pretentious, but I'm sort of a pretentious guy that way. But I think I talked about the show a little bit on, on the first time that I was on your show. We were talking contextually about season one at the time. Right. But the show has sort of grown into basically an examination of how technology affects people's lives, but defining technology so broadly that it it almost doesn't see, feel like technology is the right word anymore. Like I'm just looking at how people are affected by anything that humans make. You know, there was a really good book I read maybe eight years ago called Culture Making. Mm. And the way that the guy broke it down, he talked about how cultural goods are everything from the latest technology in you know tesla cars to something as simple as a recipe for the world's best omelet <laughs> yeah and i think that that's perhaps where you're you're heading i'm not positive about it but it feels like that's what you're addressing you're getting more and more into the human struggling with culture making in modern life that would include technology and so much more the, the devices anything that we've created from um drugs to you know, something as powerful as communications on our smartphones. Exactly. And that first episode of my new season, what I do is I tell the story of a woman who um, basically went through a period of drug abuse and addiction. But as I tell her story, I kind of look into the history of each of the substances that she was trying at the time. And I tell sort of the origin story of each one of those mix, like the history of technology writ large, hmm. but also how that technology impacts an individual in their, you know, individual life. Now, this uh, woman was your sister in this particular story, correct? Yes. Oh, spoiler. Spoiler. You have to put spoiler <laughs> alert. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> Well, the the reason I bring it up is because my next question was, did your sister use much in the way of computers growing up? No, she did not get interested in any kind of technology until fairly recently. Like, I think she learned how to use Facebook a couple of years ago, and she's in her mid-30s. So she's never been very technologically interested, although now that she is, I mean, actually, I had this interesting conversation with my brother early on in the podcast where we talked about how I feel like mobile devices have gotten a lot more people using computers than ever before because suddenly it's right. so much easier. They're the pocket computers. You're almost forced to now. I mean, you could hardly buy it. I don't know. Can you buy a dumb phone? I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> you you can, but yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to do. And so once she got a smartphone, that was the beginning of her experience on Facebook. And then she was like, oh, I like this, you know, so... Hmm. Did, did she go in and say, you know, I don't, I don't need the internet. I just need Facebook. 
because I've I've heard those lines in in, uh, <laughs> in the uh, Verizon. Yeah, I, I don't I don't need the internet. I just need Facebook. What about that Facebook phone? That's what Facebook wants. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, and now you're part of this new special sort of podcast collective. Can you describe this for us and point us to a website? Because I've taken an interest because. Your podcast is excellent, and I have a gut feeling that just all of the collective is going to be something worth listening to. Yeah, so my podcast is different from you know this podcast and a lot of podcasts in that I don't just have a conversation with somebody. I take the interview that I did and I edit it down and I write script around it. It's more like you know sort of a This American Life style story. So there are a group of other independent podcasters who are doing these kinds of shows and six of us became fans of each other and we realized we all have, you know, not huge audiences, but each of us has a different audience and we thought if we band together we could grow our audience and help each other find, you know, the people that should be listening to these kinds of shows mm. which take a lot of work to make. Right. And we think once people find out about them they really enjoy them. So we created this thing called The Herd, which is spelled H-E-A-R-D because we're clever like that. <laughs> and the the website for the collective is theherdradio.com. You can find the six shows there. And each one is a show similar to mine in that they all are sort of crafted, narrative-style shows. Most of them use music. Um, in fact, I think they all use music in interesting ways and they all kind of come at a different topic from a different perspective so like there's a show about neighbors a show called neighbors where a guy is just trying to get to know the people around him and so each episode is kind of a a portrait of somebody in his in his neighborhood um, there's another show called nocturne which is stories about the night um, and different things just every episode is something related to the night but there's six total and they're all really interesting. Good work. Good work, Rob. I'm really impressed. Thanks. All right, guys, we have some big news with us this week. As we're recording this, this is Monday, but this episode will probably go out Friday as we, per usual, our regular schedule is to have Tectonic out on Fridays. I really wanted to bend the rules and say, well, why don't we have a you know, special episode, a bonus episode? We'll put it out on Tuesday, and then we'll have a regular one on Friday as well. But I just don't have the manpower right now to do that and produce the shows. I, I'm actually preparing for vacation, and I'm trying to produce a few extra episodes while I'm gone into vacation. So I want to try and stick to the schedule. We are not exactly fully prepared to review the happenings, the goings-on at WWDC this week. But I still think it's valuable to capture our first impressions of what Apple talked about today. If you're not in the know, you, which you probably are by now, and you may even be tired of hearing about this by now, there's WWDC, the conference held by Apple in San Francisco. If you don't know about that, why are you listening to this podcast? Exactly. <laughs> and they have a keynote address, and that's where Apple introduces many unique products and services that would interest not just Apple customers, but primarily be of interest to their third-party developers who are at the conference. And there's thousands of people in San Francisco for this conference, those that are able to attend, and so many more that are just in the city for the events that are not in attendance, but are a part of the collective community of Apple users and developers. So very big week for everyone in the Apple culture. I haven't been down to an event in uh, WWDC. I've not had a reason to just yet, but I always keep my eyes and ears peeled on what's going on down there. 
Rob, what stuck out to you today when you you heard bits and pieces of the keynote? Well, it was interesting because I always love Craig Federighi's presentation, and so that was entertaining to watch. And then when I got to the end of it, I thought, what was what was actually a big new feature? I mean, he said a lot of things about OS ten, and he said a lot of things about iOS nine. But the things that stuck out to me were actually in terms of iOS nine. There were two new apps that he talked about, or two new sort of versions of apps. So there was there was a new version of Notes, which I was surprised that they were spending time talking about Notes because <laughs> I haven't used Notes in like I don't know, like five years or something. Yeah, and I re- agree. I realized by the end of it that it seemed like maybe they were trying to create an alternative to something like Evernote, you know, something that could capture right. all different kinds of things mm-hmm. instead of just text. So I thought that's kind of interesting. And then the the big new app that they talked about was this thing called News, which seemed like a competitor to something like Flipboard. Right. Right. And that was intriguing to me because I liked the idea of Flipboard uh, when it first came out. Um, it was one it, of the main reasons you would try out something novel on the iPad was Flipboard was uh, introducing a new like inter- user interface with tablet design, and so you gave it a shot, even yeah. if you weren't compelled to follow your news that way. Right, because it never felt like it actually gave me the things I wanted to read. Um, mm, mm. It, I don't know, it just didn't, it, like it was fun eye candy, but it never felt like something I, I, it was something I wanted to look at, not something I wanted to read, I guess. Right. And news seems like an attempt to do something, you know, for people who aren't nerdy enough to use RSS, but want kind of like a customized magazine. It is, yeah. It's like trying to provide that. And I'm interested to see how that, how that turns out, if that's actually compelling or not. I totally agree that I had the same exact thoughts. They're trying to, you know, compete with Evernote, Flipboard, that sort of thing. And then I thought, you know, they just continue to kind of do this and they don't do it as well as these third-party apps. And I just, I think it's, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's a mistake. I guess they have to kind of keep up, but I I see the third-party apps, like different calendars and things like that, really, and and different mail applications really stepping up and, and pushing the limits. And then the Apple seems to kind of catch up with their with their default apps. Mm. Yeah. I also see it as their attempt to revamp the newsstand app, which was something that I was initially very interested in. But as time waned on, it just became very apparent that newsstand was not going to last or at least any especially usable way of using it because it was just, it just felt janky all along. Like every magazine was trying to be its own thing within newsstand. <laughs> Right, and that so that's the one thing that I find compelling about news is that if they work with publishers so that the publishers, like if there's some way that we could subscribe to something and then it would show up in news mm-hmm. so the publisher could get paid but that we could read it all in one place, like I would find that compelling. Right. Well, earlier this week, Jason Snell on his podcast with Mike Hurley on Upgrade, we're talking about how the way the service will work is actually publishers will be able to use iCloud online, the iCloud website, to actually publish their works for the news app. It's part of the iCloud service online now. Seems a little bit uh, like, huh? Wait a minute, that's that's an iCloud thing? Why? Mm. (laughs) But that's already there. It's in beta, and you can check it out today. The way that it's supposed to work is that the publishers will be able to use their own advertising services so that they get a proper cut from advertising within all their content. Oh, interesting. And if they're not using that, then Apple will put in their own ads, which the publishers will be able to get a cut from. And in the event that the publisher is using their own, Apple won't take anything from advertising. 
if Apple is providing the advertising, then they will take a cut and then the publishers get a portion too. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a new world for the world of publishing. I, I see this pretty interesting move because it didn't seem like the iPad was getting much love lately, but this particular keynote address gave the iPad lots of love. Yeah, that that is interesting. Yeah, I feel like most of the new features were features more geared towards the iPad than the iPhone. Like they talked about multitasking on the iPad, you know, being able to have two apps side by side, and that was not mm. something that they said would be available on the iPhone, right? Right. Right. I think so, yeah. And yeah, so, that that was the big that was the biggest thing that jumped out at me too is the multitasking for the iPad. I just that was the the single driver that would make me want to upgrade hardware. I mean, I have got an old iPad, but it it just it still works really well. Hmm. Except I can't multitask now. I must multitask. So yeah. Well, that raises an interesting point about this particular week. Is that Apple? Well, unless there's something to be announced that we haven't seen. Again, this is Monday when we're recording, but Apple didn't talk about any sort of new hardware for the Mac or for iOS. You know, in past WWDC uh, addresses. They've even talked about a few accessories. It w- I wouldn't have been surprised if at some point Tim Cook said, everything is going great with the Apple Watch. We're so happy with how it's doing so well. And, you know, just as something on a, as a side note, look at this. We're introducing new sport bands in five new colors. You know, it's just something, something to add to the shelves and make some good sales over the week. Yeah, I think they just had so much to to cover. I mean, it was a solid what two and a half hours. I mean, I th- it seemed it seemed longer than most. I don't know. Yeah, it was one of the longer keynotes. Yes. Well, and there was speculation on Twitter. I'm trying to remember who it was, and it's escaping me. But somebody said th- that this is what a keynote looks like when one of the hardware products didn't make it to the keynote. Yes, I I completely agree. And a lot of people thought there was going to be a new Apple TV and that didn't turn out to, you know, be the case and so that maybe what we were seeing was this is they had to kind of fill out the keynote in a different way than they would have if they'd had an Apple TV. Mm, like like opening up with uh, Safari's uh, new pin feature or something like that. <laughs> I liked like, the really? pin you're gonna, feature. You're that gonna, looks kind of cool. I, I, I like it. It's fine. But I mean, really, you're going to open with that? I mean, yeah, I yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I actually, I was right there with you, Rob. I, w- I actually brought it up on Twitter. That was one of the first things I was like, this could be a game changer for how I use Safari. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying uh, I won't use it. I just, I don't know. It just didn't seem like quite the, I don't know. Anyways, well, go ahead. The, the the overall impression I got, and oh, I was, I was going to highlight the other thing that I was excited about. And I, I, I mentioned this to my wife and she was like, you are such a nerd. <laughs> I'm really excited about the better text selection that they talked about with, you know, being able to use two fingers and Oh, yes. and move the the cursor around. I'm really excited about that, but it I was a little disappointed that it seems like that might only be on the iPad. Mm. So, I could see that being something they introduce for the iPhone later. Uh, you know, iPad now because it somewhat lends itself to it and once there's been some form of adoption and they kind of used the iPad as the guinea pig and iPad users, you know, start extolling it and saying, oh yes, this is a, a real reason to, a game changer for us to, you know, I should have moved some of my workflows to the iPad because it was so much more effective here than it was on my iPhone. Then I could see it being introduced to the iPhone in a year from now. Yeah. 
it seems inevitable that there will be a lot of parity between the feature set on iOS for the phone and for the iPad. Just the only things they can't really share between the two are those things that involve their screen real estate, you know, so that right. it's, it doesn't seem likely you're ever going to get two apps up side by side on an iPhone, unless it's the six plus, but even then you're pushing it. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't see why not on the, at least on the plus I, I would, I'd like to see it on the plus. Well, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention the music app, which was something that consumed way more time than I was expecting. (laughs) That part of the presentation was a total mess. Oh, I I, I felt miserable watching it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I don't understand what happened. Uh, I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna rewatch the keynote tonight just to see if it was as bad as my first impression. And it's <laughs> and it's too bad because I'm actually excited about that music app. Yeah, me too. I definitely have some questions about how it's gonna work, but I mean, I immediately thought I'm definitely gonna try this out. You know, because I've sure. never been a streaming music person. I've never done st- Spotify or RDO. But yeah. something about that was compelling to me. Well, know. see, here was the thing that struck me was that they, they said all the right things, but they said it in a jumbled mess. So, so the issue isn't the, the features, it was the right. presentation for you? Yeah. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, would, I would agree the presentation was iffy, but I think, I think the actual features are, are, are pretty sweet. Now, some might argue that this means that the Apple executive team doesn't really understand music services today. Maybe they're, it's because they've been using iTunes for these last 10 years. And some of the younger crew is far more familiar with Spotify and RDO and other services like Google music. And it's really the executive team that's just catching on like, yeah, we, we need to ride this wave now. I guess we have to commit ourselves to the streaming service. But you notice how many times they refer to everything as radio this, global digital radio that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you're only saying that because you're a white male over the age of 50. But if you would catch <laughs> up with the times, you'd realize not many people want to perceive that what they're using on their phone's devices is called radio. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when they when they said that the I guess the, the first two of the three features were revolutionary, revolutionary to their their suite. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the first was like basically genius, like which we've had gone forever, but it's just a little bit more expanded. Yeah. And then the second is is basically Beats Radio, which I'm thinking that's not very revolutionary. It's just another internet radio station. So I, the first two points, I mean, will probably be you know useful. But I kind of said, yeah, it's not really that revolutionary. Now, the third part, I think, could be really revolutionary, especially if it's done right for the small artist, get discovered and get a following. You know, we could see a lot of artists really make it big through that if it's done right. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the biggest things. I'm not I'm not an artist, but... The way that it would affect the music culture. Yeah. Correct. It would affect the, the, the artists. The decentralization of it. That sort of jumps out at me as saying that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, and it's interesting because it's... I feel like the term discoverability comes up in a lot of different media right now mm. that that's the big problem. You know, there oh, there's all these people producing great quote unquote content, which a lot of people hate that word, <laughs> but there's a lot of people producing great stuff. But the question is with all this great stuff out there, how do you find out what you want to listen to or what you want to read or what you want to, you know, whatever. And so they're trying to solve that problem. It'll be interesting to see if they have any success with that. Right. And along that line, I think we've already seen how Spotify and RDO, Google Music is probably, but I can't really speak to them. I'm familiar with Spotify and mainly RDO, how they've already answered that problem. And I would say that they're doing a fairly decent job of helping music discovery for their users or their members. I'm one of those people who got interested, started using it for the free version of RDO. 
And after a while, ran into the situation that I wasn't able to discover enough and I wasn't able to really fully appreciate REO unless I started to sign up for the full month membership of $9.99. And I went ahead and took the plunge and it has been so worth it. The last, um, I'd say about 10 months now, I've been using RDO. I've found so much more music. I've expanded so much more. I've, I've given more time to music because of that membership. And the, the service lends itself to discoverability. And that really helps me because I, I just, I, I'm not a natural when it comes to discovering music artists and genres and albums that I may find an interest in. And it, it has really helped me. I went from maybe, I'd, I'd guess that I had about 6,000 songs in my iTunes library to what I have now is probably pushing about 15,000. And I, that would be thanks to what RDO can do. And that was RDO's discoverability, making that happen. The thing that makes me nervous and that they didn't really mention is how this app interacts with the, the music that you own as opposed to the music that you're streaming. It is cumbersome, though. Even the website is very cryptic about how that's going to work. Right, yeah. Because I am an old school smart playlist maker. I love smart <laughs> playlists. And I, because I primarily use music, especially nowadays that I listen to podcasts so much, yeah. I primarily use music as exercise music. And so I have all these smart playlists set up for, you know, like jogging. And it's like songs that work precisely, you know, like I've jogged to the beat of that song and I know it's exactly the right song. And I know that this song is a little bit faster than that other song. And so I create these playlists. And then as I listen to songs, it like does the recently played, like it has all that metadata. And so then it creates a new playlist for me you know, refreshes so that it's all songs I haven't recently listened to, you know, so that I constantly have fresh, fresh playlists. Nice. And if they take all that away, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the website promises that it's not going to manipulate your iTunes experience as you know it now. For instance, if you go into the app and you go to search, it will know if you're contextually searching your own music library that you have or if you're trying to search the database of all the things available in the iTunes store. Okay. So if you search, then it will tell you, well, you do not have this in your current library, but it is over here. So you can, you can get it from there. I would think that they have to kind of like uh, serve both collections. Yeah. And if that's the, if that's what's going to happen, then they also have to serve two different feature sets, which yes, adds a lot of complexity. Mm. I'm, I'm hoping though they can overcome it. What I didn't understand with, with the, uh, with the streaming part is, you know, they say, Oh, you've got these access to these millions of songs on iTunes. Does that mean I can play any one I want at any time? For example, if that's true, why would I ever buy anything ever again? Exactly. That, that was the biggest thing that, from a, a financial standpoint. I, I well, yeah. And my head. are you going to be able to download things for off, you know, uh, offline. Um, you can play back. You will really. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was something that it said on the website. So that kind of defeats the purpose of streaming. <laughs> now, by default, if you go and find the music and you listen to it, it's not automatically going to download it to your music library. Sure, sure. You'd have to tell it, "I want this music downloaded because it's one of my favorites," or presumably by some standard of, "I push this button and now it's downloaded to my device." Otherwise, it would just stream. Well, okay, so. It's kind of stepping so they back. Call, they should just call it uh, music renting. Then it's not really <laughs> music streaming. You're just renting it at that point. Like, yeah. Uh, stepping back from the whole keynote, my big takeaway from it was, I felt like it was a lot of descriptions of little features 
none of which seemed very revolutionary, right. but most of which I felt like I would actually use. Whereas in past keynotes, I've often felt like, oh, that's that seems revolutionary. And then it turns out not to be that revolutionary, like, right. like <laughs> continuity or something. Yes, you know, exactly. like continuity seemed amazing when they described it. And I was like, whoa, you can just pass things off from your phone. And I almost never use it, you know? Yep. Well, time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> it could be that the, the, these features go the way of continuity. But I, I have to kind of agree with you. My intuition is saying, yes, you're right. And related to that, what was the other thing that came to my mind? Oh, yeah. Perhaps the one thing that was the odd one out in this entire presentation was when they talked about the computer game graphics. I can see why that will excite a lot of the developer community. But as a whole, I know that the gamer community is not ecstatic about using their Macs for serious games. Yeah. So if they're going to make headway there, they have to do more than support the the high-end software and speeds and graphics intense usage, they actually have to do something significant. Like I remember in the day when PlayStation, Sony PlayStation was on the rise and when Xbox was on the rise, that for those platforms, their respective businesses went leaps and bounds beyond to make deals with game developers. Basically, they moved mountains to get some serious game developers to put their primary titles on their their platforms. Hmm. And if Apple is serious about it, they have to do more than to provide the tools. They actually have to do some extra to compel the developers over to Mac. And, but see, the thing is, I, I'm, I'm kind of content. I really don't need gaming on my Mac. But I, I guess Apple wants to be taken seriously in that department. So I don't know how far they're going to take it. Yeah. Do they want to call it their present hobby? You know, since the Apple TV has, you know, gone from a, a hobby status to something more serious this year, as Tim Cook described it earlier this year. Does that mean that the gaming platform is is the next hobby in the works? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? All right, well, very good thoughts, guys. One more small one, which I think really blew me away with just for using, like a, you could use cases, the window management in El Capitan, the, you know, the, the way to, uh, I guess, sh- kind of share screens and, yeah. you know, kind of fill up the real estate. Because I've got two 27-inch monitors that I, and I'm like struggling to figure out how to use them because they're so big. So yeah, I, I like that part too. Cool. Yeah, I will definitely use that. As a designer, I can definitely nod my head to this interface change being a major improvement. I use emission control all the time. And because our displays are 16 by 9, they're always wide. So we tend to have a lot of blank real estate to the rights and left inside of our windows. Nothing really going on there. And it can sometimes occupy... of your entire screen real estate. And, you know, you might as well do something like put messages off to the right and then have your Safari off to the left. And so it's a smart feature. And, uh, you know, there's been third parties that answered these problems and gave you these features with apps like Moom, which I've been using for a few, I guess, a year or two. And I love Moom. I love Moom too. Yeah. So, but it's interesting to see that Apple is catching up with that particular feature. And I'm interested to see the changes that are affected in in mission control because I'm a huge fan of mission control as it is today. I, I actually produced a video about it, you know, showing off how I use mission control. So I'll be curious if they actually break something I really like about mission control today. I hope that that doesn't happen. Mm. All right. Well, <laughs> that was the speed round through the WWKC event, a DC event. <laughs> we'll talk about it more next week, I guess. And for the, probably the next several months, they were just introducing things today. You know, what's going to happen later this year is they'll revisit most all of these features when they have more to illustrate and more to demonstrate. So like, like we already said about the music service, the best kind of demos are where they show don't tell. 
the law of what they did was they all they could do was it they could, they could just tell you what it would do. Really didn't know how to show you it because it wasn't ready to be shown. I noticed that when they were showing off music, they always showed it on iOS. They were largely just missing a huge section of the experience with Apple's music services because they didn't really show what music would look like on the Mac. How does this affect iTunes? How does it affect iTunes on the Mac? Mm. We didn't see that on screen at all. Mm. So right. there's, got, there's got to be more revealed. But, but I, I, wonder, I wonder what the stats are as far as actual users, like how, where do they listen to their, to their music? You know, I would have bet it's mostly on their iPhones. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I listen to, I, I guess, on my Mac some, but it's mostly my iPhone. All right, gentlemen. So the topic of the rest of our time, Rob, we talked about it at the end, I think, of episode one for Tectonic. We said that someday when we had our watches, we would return and review our watches. Yes. The day has come. And (laughs) uh, I haven't shared my heartbeat or anything like that with you for science or research or anything else. (laughs) But uh, I I do believe you do have a watch, correct? I, I do. Yes. I do. And I, I love it. Good, good. I good. love my watch. And I, I love mine as well. And Joshua, you poor soul, you don't have one yet. I'm just going to take a nap. Wake me when it's <laughs> <we're> done. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Now, you were really tempted to. Are you going to just wait for, for the next model? I was tempted. And, and the uh, watch OS 2, uh, you know, that much more uh, at this point, I, I think I might as well just wait for new hardware. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. And then plus, you know, we're trying to watch the budget. My wife said, well, if I can't do this, then stop talking about a watch. So yeah, there's that. Well, if you have any questions for us, Joshua, please volley them our way. That sounds good. First of all, Rob, why did you choose to get the watch in the first place? Well, it's interesting because I remember when the presentation happened, uh, the, the introduction of the watch, which was in October or September, I can't remember, this past fall. I was not that excited about it. I was like, it looks kind of chunky and it doesn't seem like it does that much. And then as I started to think about it and I started to think specifically about really practical uses of it, like just being able to pause my podcast that I'm listening to without taking my phone out of my pocket, Hmm. I was like, that would be really nice. You know, just little things like that. Or when I started thinking about what it would be like to get a notification that was not a sound, but just a tap on the wrist, and so that it didn't signal anybody else in the room that I had gotten a notification, I was the only one that knew, and I could decide when I was going to check that. Because I often have the experience of, you know, I'm a teacher, I teach writing, and so I would have the experience of, you know, having little dings on my phone while I was teaching, and that was very distracting. And so little things like that, I was like, I bet that would actually be really nice Plus, I haven't worn a watch since I was probably 10 years old. So that's why I decided to buy it was those those things. And then I also started to think that it looked really cool, mm. especially after I did a try-on. So Okay, and it was really the try-on that convinced you that it was actually really good in person then? Yeah, well, I had already ordered it. Okay. When I went in for the try-on. But if you if you ordered it and you got it and you didn't like it, you could always return it and get your money back. Yeah, and as soon as I put it on, I was like, oh, this... This yeah, this looks really cool. I I definitely want to have this on my wrist. So nice. Okay, so which model did you go with? I went with the uh, the most common one, the black sports. Black on black. Yeah. Okay. The, what the economy Darth Vader watch? Yeah. If if I'd been able to, I would have gotten the um the black steel one, but not with the steel bracelet. I would have gotten the black steel with the black um sport band, but of course that was not available. So interesting. 
See, my first impression was that I, I thought that the watch was beautiful when they introduced it. I, I've always noticed that in Apple presentations and on their website that they present their products in a field of white, in the white world of Johnny Ive. Yeah. So unfortunately, because it's not in a real life setting, it's harder to appreciate just how good the product is, how user-friendly the product will be, or how unfriendly something will be about it. So when you see it in a field of white, because you, you, you in your world, in your memory, don't have a, a reference point, it doesn't feel natural. And something about your brain tells you, oh, this is just marketing. This is just, this is a figment of the imagination. This is not the real world. And in most cases these days, most of those products you see in the videos in the white world are probably CGI models anyway. But what I, what I think is going on is that Apple, you know, is convinced that something is great. You know, Johnny Ive has been wearing it. His design team has been wearing it for a while. They're very happy with every model of the band they can get their hands on. You know, they've tried themselves. And I don't think that they would put out a version one of the hardware that embarrasses them. Someone in the, the Apple design team is convinced that every one of their bands is something that they would want to wear some of the time. And every one of the materials used, like the alloys, are something that they would they would personally wear on their own wrist. Now, grant you, they have different budgets. They have different. They make different salaries than we do. So they would even consider the gold watches, which are amazing. They're stunning, beautiful, whatever you want to say. Right. And I, it's, it cracks me up how many of the customers I've seen that were attracted to the gold watches and just assumed, well, if I'm going to get a watch, I'm going to get the one I'm most attracted to. How much is that one? Well, it's literal gold. So <laughs> you're talking about a pretty penny here. And even the Apple store employees, they get, I think the watches, if I heard right for half price mm. and many of them were tempted because they could get one of those $7,000 watches for half price. They were tempted, but they don't. And I wouldn't be surprised if that has to do with some of their store policies. Like once you buy it, you're keeping it. We don't want you to resell it for, you know, to make a profit. Right. And I, I could understand that being a difficult matter. Yeah. Uh, for me, though, I didn't intend to buy the watch because I had a very nice analog traditional Philips Stein watch. It had steel casing and it had a traditional black sport band. And I just thought it looked great. It was, it was sophisticated, something that looked great for casual use and also with a suit and tie. So when I had that on my wrist, uh, much like, uh, you know, some of the others, the naysayers, I was like, you know, the Apple product does look brilliant and I am a watch wearer. I have nothing wrong with wearing watches. I just, I'm not compelled to replace my watch with this one. And then my wife surprised me and said, you're buying an Apple watch for Christmas. <laughs> so with that, I was like, oh, okay, I, I don't mind. And then on top of that, one of my clients said, I want to get you an Apple watch for some work. And that meant uh, he was going above and beyond what he was going to pay me for a specific service. Mm. And I was like, okay, then. So what I went ahead and did is I got the model I was really interested in. I got the standard steel watch with the light blue leather loop. And as a spare, I got the black sport band hmm. and I've been tremendously happy with the hardware. The, the only downside with what I got in the box was that the light blue leather loop is the larger of the two sizes. I'm six foot four. And so I assumed that I would need the larger size. I, I didn't bother to check the measurements just because like I said, Hey, I'm, I'm a tall guy. I would assume my, my wrist was larger. 
but it's not, as it turns out. So I, I really need to substitute my large blue leather loop for the smaller one. Mm. And if you're going to make this uh, kind of switch, Apple gives you a 14-day grace period to make the switch. I contacted them 17 days after I received the watch, assuming that I had 30 days of grace to have it exchanged. And they told me, sorry, no. This kind of bummed me out, uh, to be honest, guys, because I had gone to the Apple store 10 days with the wristband and the Apple store said, no, we cannot make the exchange. You have to make the exchange over the website. They will give you a, uh, a shipping label to, you know, an, an address that you can send the, your wristband to, and they will ship you another one, but we can't do it here in the store. And so when I did contact them through apple.com, when I contact support and said, I need to exchange my wristband and they said, it's been 17 days, you're not covered. I just waited silently on the phone. Like you're kidding, right? <laughs> Finally, they said, but we'll make an exception for you. And it's a good thing because as it was the blue leather loop, though, I think it feels great. I love the materials. It was wrapping all the way around the watch and wanted to get up on top of the watch face. Mm. So I wouldn't have been able to use it at all. So if they weren't willing to work with me, I don't know what I would have done. Ah. So in your experience, Rob, you're very content with the sport band? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the band, yeah, I, I have no problem with it at all. And what about the body of the aluminum? I was wondering if it would be, uh, you know, scratch resistant well enough that in everyday use, it would not create some dings and just, I was wondering, I was actually concerned, would it you know, eventually like, uh, rub the, co the dark color right off when you, when you ran it against things like some of the earlier Apple iPhones did that got into the, the dark colors. I've had no problems with that at all. Wow. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. And the glass on, on the display, no nicks and scratches. Nope. It's a completely different material from mine. So I have to ask because I, I can't take it for granted. No, I don't have any scratches on the screen. Hmm. And I, I frequently run into a doorway in my house with it. And I'm like, oh, I just banged it again. Yes. <laughs> I've had no problems. Interesting. Okay. So then we'll talk about just like how we use it. <laughs> <laughs> because at this point, we've heard 101 different reviewers say how they're annoyed by notifications or how notifications are a lifesaver. And other people saying they're, they're so annoyed how sluggish the entire interface is. And other people saying it's, it's brilliant. Like it, it, it just works charmingly fast. And I've heard it all. I've, I've heard every complaint and somebody else say that that complaint should not exist because it's brilliant. Well, it's interesting. I was thinking about this today and I was thinking back to the original introduction of the iPhone and how Steve Jobs, you know, did the famous we're introducing three new products and I think the first was a revolutionary phone and the second was a touchscreen touch touch yeah. yes, a touchscreen iPod with a uh, widescreen iPod with yes, touch controls. Yeah. And the third was an inter a revolutionary, revolutionary internet communication internet. device or whatever. <laughs> The third one got the least amount of excitement. You know, it was like, ooh, a new phone, and then oh, a new iPod, and then the internet communicator. Everybody was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And um, that, of course, turns out to be the most interesting part of the iPhone is its revolutionary connection to the internet. Like, it's the internet in your pocket, right? Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about the way they introduced the watch was that it's like an incredibly accurate timepiece. Right. It's a health tracker and it's this new way to communicate with people. Yes. And I've never once used the side button that takes you to your contacts. I've never <laughs> used it once. 
And so I I feel like that's the totally wrong way to present it. Like to me, the third revolutionary thing about it is just what I might call like information access, like immediate information access. And so I would put notifications into that. Like I feel like probably the most valuable thing about it to me is the way that there's no delay between me getting a notification and me being able to see what that notification is. Right. And so what, where it used to be, like I love using like reminders. I'm a huge fan of the app Do, D-U-E, um, because I forget things all the time. And so I'm constantly setting reminders for myself to do things. And the way it used to be is that I would hear my phone ding in my pocket. And then there would be this delay as I dig my phone out to figure out what it is that's reminding me to do. And now I just get this pleasant little buzz on my wrist and I look and I see what it is and then I can tell it, you know, I'm doing that or I want to send that one hour into the future or whatever. And I just find that, that small reduction in friction in my life so valuable. And then the other thing that I love is I just love being able to, because I listen to things on my phone so much, especially podcasts, I just love being able to control that from my wrist rather than having to take out my phone. Nice. Yeah. I had this interesting experience. So in terms of the apps, like it's definitely true that the apps on the phone or on the, on the watch are sluggish and most of them aren't very well designed because they were designed before people had access to the watch. And so one example of that is I'm a big OmniFocus user. I love OmniFocus. And I actually use OmniFocus for my grocery list. I have contexts set up in OmniFocus for each aisle in the grocery store so that I have perspective set up so that I can go through the grocery store and check things off as I go through those aisles. And it's great. Rob, you just took that to a whole new level. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I am impressed. Yeah. No, it's great. And I have, you know, all the like the recipes that we make in our, in our house, like saved as, you know, templates. So I can just add them to the list, whatever. So anyway, I tried the OmniFocus app on my watch and it was not a great experience because it takes a long time to load. And then instead of it having it all be one list, you know, I can have that perspective saved in the watch app, but when I tap on it, it like breaks it up by context. So I have to like look at produce and then I have to look at the next thing. And then I have to look, instead of having it be one long list. So it's not great, but it's still better than taking my phone out of my pocket. Like, even though it's not that great, mm. it's so, it feels more convenient somehow. It does. And, yeah. and, and so recently, like the OmniFocus app was like updating or something. And so it wasn't on my, my watch when I got to the grocery store, even though it's not a perfect experience, it feels, it feels like there's less friction. So I think there's a lot of potential there. Along those lines, I think one of the reasons why we experience less friction with the, the watch is that there isn't a lock screen. There isn't a swipe to unlock. There isn't the touch ID pause. Yeah. It takes place when you dig it out of your pocket, find the button with your thumb, make sure that you grip it firmly and not too tight. Don't press it too hard because then it may be that you unlock it, but also you launch yourself to the home screen and that's not what you intended. You wanted to stay on the most recent app or who knows what. It just, there's little nuances where you had a notebook in your pocket with your checklist and you fished it out of your pocket. All you'd have to do would be to open it up to the page with your list. 
And there's no question about the notebook misinterpreting your actions with your thumbs and your index fingers. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Usually you'll use your eyes and your fingers or tactile response to know exactly what you're doing with the notebook. And it's all incredibly predictable because we've known how to use these things since, you know, our infancy. (laughs) (laughs) But with the watch, it eliminates some of the inconvenient accidental touches and swipes that would happen with the phone. Nothing that would break our reality and ruin our experience because the, the phone is light years better than what it used to be. Like, again, go back to what Steve Jobs did when he introduced iPhone. He compared it to the other smartphones, and it's a million times better than anything BlackBerry ever did. Yeah. So we had nothing really to complain about. Apple did not introduce a device that we need. But they introduced a device that does eliminate some of the little pain points we experience dozens of times a day, like they're in the grocery aisles. I use Clear to keep my checklist for my grocery shopping. It works relatively well off of the watch. I just you know take a glance down at my wrist. When I, and what I do is I usually organize all my shopping through the grocery store. So I make my list so that it's from beginning to end in the correct order through the store. Sure. But doing that all off of the watch now, super handy. I want to jump in just real quick on the uh, the grocery thing. Yeah. So so grocery stuff in general, of course, six kids, you know, I'm the man with it when it comes to groceries, right? <laughs> it literally is the biggest line item on our budget, you know, like by, by far. So yeah, I started using uh, paprika a couple weeks ago. And I've got this thing down where I've got a whole week's uh, menu basically planned. Brilliant. It took me 30 seconds to create the list. <laughs> and then I went shopping my wife had a doctor's appointment today. I took the kids, all six kids, grocery shopping in and out in 30 minutes with paprika. It was amazing. It was <laughs> wow. amazing. It was amazing. You so, should yeah. you write that up. I might do that because it's been like the holy grail for us. It's just sweet. Yeah. Wow. All right, gentlemen. So the things that you'd think would be handy are not as handy as they might become. Things like using the calculator to find the tip when you're in the restaurant, Mm. there is a few calculator apps for the watch, but Apple curiously didn't make one of their own. Yeah. So I think when we have native calculators on the watch now with third-party developers having that opportunity with watch OS two, I think we can see that everything is going to run even more fluidly off of the watch. I want to say though, that the, the way in which I've used the watch the most is for just utilities in general, like v- actually checking on my calendar right here, right now. What am I supposed to be doing? Oh, yes, that thing is coming up in 20 minutes. I, I need a you know, plan for my commute. Just having that casual glance at the glances, in this case, Fantastical, or having it in a complication on my watch face yeah. has eliminated a little bit of the friction of distractions that would appear on the phone. Many of our friends like uh, Sean Blanc have pointed out how the watch is great for eliminating the potential distractions where you pick up the phone to see that notification, just to see that notification that tells you what's going on in your calendar. And before you realized it, you're looking at the newest cat videos on YouTube for six or seven minutes. And you're like, what, why am I doing this? How did this happen? Yeah, yeah, totally. And because of that, Perhaps the the best feature of the watch is that it took the best utilities, or I should say the the utilities I wind up most frequently using, put them on the watch where I could not find the distractions. Therefore, I spend less time on the phone from day to day. I would say it's divided my time on on the iPhone in half 
while I'm still getting to the things I need to use to get things done. Yeah. Which was something I didn't expect to happen to this extent. Yeah. Now, but when you bring up glances, like I think glances is a really interesting thing because it's both, I think, ingenious and flawed. Yeah. And so here's, here's, here's my take on glances. Like, I love the fact that you can pull up these quick views of, you know, different apps that you choose. I mean, some people have compared it to like your dock on your, your Mac or whatever. But what's weird about glances is that except the, with the one exception of na- the now playing screen. So what the now playing glance is, is whatever you're listening to on your phone, you can control the, the playback of that. Mm. Every other glance is just information. It, there's no buttons. There's, an, there's no action you can take on a glance. Right. The only thing you can do is you can tap in the upper left corner and then it will take you to that app. And my feeling about glances is that they need more buttons. I use the now playing glance more than anything else because it's a super quick way to take action on something. Right. And what's weird is that you can take action on notifications. So just like you have actionable notifications on the phone, you have actionable notifications on the watch, but you can't take action on a glance. And I feel like that's a mistake. Like, I feel like they need to open up. Like, that seems like the most natural way to get to an app. Right. I would much rather get to apps through glances and be able to do things in those glances, if that makes sense. Right. It would be the same as going to look at your hard drive in the Finder on the Mac. It's not very often you need to go to that topmost level of folders on your Mac right. to you know funnel down to something like the Applications folder anymore. You'll right. use something like Spotlight to get to whatever you need, which is something that the watch doesn't really have. There isn't a great way to quickly search for things. And I think that the way that the Apple designers are working, they're hoping you'll use Siri more and more for voice commands to access the features and to take the actions that you you need and want most. And that's something that I don't believe the third-party developers have access to very much these days on the watch. Uh, maybe they do. I'm just not aware. They will yeah. now. That's part of the, the what was announced. They will have access to Siri, I believe. I think that that will be a game changer for the developers that harness that power. I was under the impression that they were going to have the ability for Siri to search for things in apps, but not necessarily take actions in apps. You might be right. Mm. One I would love to have is to simply make a tweet. Like a couple of times I've seen a notification coming through Twitterific saying you have this, you know, this direct message or you have this mention and I'm, I really want to respond to it right there with a simple reply command through Siri and I can't do it. Yeah. You'll definitely be able to do that. But what I would love to be able to do is to call up Siri and say, tell do to remind me to do something, you know, rather than using the reminders app but I don't think we're going to be able to do that anytime soon. Um, We only have a few more minutes left, so I want to talk about fitness tracking for sure. I I found this to be just really enjoyable, even if it's not the most accurate at this time. Now, Rob, are you using it for any sort of exercise, or are you wary of your heart rate at any time of the day or week? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, I would sum it up exactly the same way you just did, which is, I find the the interface of seeing the circles, you know, as you fill in your circles throughout the day, like I find that interface really delightful. But when I exercise, the the form of exercise that I do a lot in the summer, rollerblading, 
I, I used to jog a lot and it started to hurt my ankles for some reason. And there's no rollerblading in the workout app. And so <laughs> I use the other, you know, that's one of the things that you can select in the workout app is other. And uh, it's just not, I don't think it's very accurate. It's, it, you know, it's taking my heart rate, but it doesn't seem to, I don't know. So that's, that's disappointing. I hope they in, increase the number of different kinds of exercise that they include in there. But otherwise, I think it's, it's yeah, it's, it's super enjoyable to get those achievements and those circles. I like that a lot. My workout coach at the gym was pointing out that he, he's all in favor of using fitness trackers like the watch and others, the Fitbit. And he has a few of the others. He isn't ready to invest in the Apple Watch just because he doesn't put much uh, uh, faith in the accuracy. As he found with the case of some of the other trackers, the only one that he believed was accurate was the one that would actually strap around his chest yeah. to get the accurate representation of the heart rate. He didn't think it was technologically possible to get it from the wrist. Well, one, one thing, one experience I had was for a while I was wearing the watch pretty tight and then I decided to loosen it a little bit. And I definitely have found that the heart rate monitor is less accurate if it's not tight around my wrist. Mm. I noticed that Johnny Ive in that latest article where he was interviewed concerning his career changes as the chief design officer or whatever they call him, that his wristband was incredibly loose. It, like the watch was dangling over top of his his knuckles. I mean, mm. not his knuckles, but I mean, like it was very loose. Probably two holes on the sport band looser than I would have fitted him for. I was just like, well, what are you doing, man? Do you not care to track anything? But uh, I guess to each his own. Maybe he knows something we don't. Like he's like fitness tracking. Pa. Yeah. <laughs> Not using that today. Yeah. <laughs> he but he knows something we don't know about Watch OS three, where it all comes together. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about the fitness tracking except that I, even though I, I don't put too much stock in the the tracking just yet, because that green ring is is practically impossible to close. Mm. I've worked some incredibly hard workouts. And you can burn a lot of calories. You can get your heart rate up real high long before you get to 30 minutes of workout activity in a day. Really? Yeah. I mean, like I've done it multiple times. I've burned you know, 400, 500 calories before I got to 30 minutes in. I've done all I'm going to do. I've done all the training with the coach. I, I'm ready to cut off at a certain point when I know it's not good to keep exercising because I've had such an intense workout. And I look down at my watch and it only gives me credit for 27 minutes and it will not close the ring with the rest of the day. See, I have not had that problem at all. I wonder. I wonder why. Yeah. I mean, every time as I- a, As a non-Apple Watch user, can, can you yeah. just kind of just chill out and just kind of like shake the watch or something to kind of spoof it into finishing <laughs> that up? So I'm just thinking like if I'm watching TV, if I'm watching TV in the evening, can I just kind of just- Just shake it for 20, 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> My understanding is that the green ring is a measurement of what period of time did you spend with your heart rate elevated above something like 120 beats per minute? I have never gone on a work, like I've never gone for a jog or a bike ride or gone rollerblading with the workout app. I mean, I th maybe it's because I'm using the workout app. Are you using the workout app when you do those workouts? Yes, I use other as well because I, I don't very often just do a simple riding or jogging kind of workout. I usually do something that involves, you know, your core and your chest or your shoulders and back and things like that. 
Oh, now see, I have heard that the watch is not good at measuring things like weightlifting or like if it's not really aerobic exercise, it's not mm. going to give you that credit. Yeah. Well, typically I'm using isometric workouts and uh, free weights for just a few things, but yes, I, uh. I, I can see, I can see that pattern developing right now. It, it wants you to be on the treadmill or on a jog in the woods. And, and if you want to do much else, it, it you lose accuracy, it seems. Yeah. Well, one last thing before we go, uh, Rob, do you mind giving us a screenshot of your watch face? <laughs> I don't mind. Okay. I will. I'm going to capture mine on the count of three. Three, two, one, snap. We'll presumably have the exact same time on our watches. Yeah. I'm using the utility watch face. I like the accent color of purple. And uh, this actually will come up in an article later this week. Actually, the, the same day this, this episode goes out, I have a, a home screen article on uh, maxsparky.com. And I, I talk a little bit about my watch face. Oh, nice. And anything else, guys? Anything else, Rob? I mean, like we could, we could talk for more, but I, I think at least we covered the most essential basis. Um, one small tip Please. I will give to watch users is I'm a big fan of going into my notification settings on my phone and turning off sounds for non-essential notifications, but letting them still show up as notifications. And so when I look at my watch, instead of it having notified me, like it's not going to interrupt me while I'm working or something, but I'll see that little red dot that it will tell me that some things have come in since I've last looked at it, and then I can check them as needed. So only the most essential notifications will actually buzz me, but then those other notifications will silently pile up and be ready for me when I check. And I think that's a helpful thing to do. Nice. Good suggestion. And like some others have pointed out, anywhere you're in an app, just go ahead and try to force touch it to see what extra actions it'll call up. Try the force touch when in doubt. Yes. Rob, thank you again so much for joining us. This was a blast. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Well worth the wait. <laughs> we'll have to talk about watchOS 2 in the not-too-distant future. <laughs> yes. So this completes episode 10.1 of Tectonic. These version uh, updates are just coming left and right. V visit tectonic.fm slash 10 Mm, dash one <laughs> uh, for the show notes and links. If you want to connect with us, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter and send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I'm underscore Joe Darnell. Our guest is Rob McMyers and my co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. If you want to help us out, give us your star rating and leave us a review on iTunes because that really helps others to find and enjoy the show as well as you do. I'm Joe Darnell. Thank you so much for listening to Tectonic. Tectonic.